This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. I got to say something nice about the Bengals here before we get going today. That's where I want to jump off on. I got to give Zach Taylor some credit, man. I have been really in the camp of this guy is an average coach and the team is mainly held together by Joe Burrow and a better coach might actually better serve this Bengals team. I mean, they've been to two AFC championship games in the past three years and a Super Bowl. So, I mean, he's serving them pretty well. But I, I always thought that, you know, he was nothing special and that it's Burrow or die with this team. Um, you know, last year when Burrow was dealing with the injury or the a- a- appendicitis, the slow start to the season for Cincinnati, and they rallied, part of me was kind of like, oh, you know, maybe he's a little bit better than I thought. And this year comes around, and the whole the way the whole organization dealt with the Burrow injury at the beginning of the year, I thought was was a head scratcher. And then they dig themselves into a deep hole again, and then Burrow gets hurt for the season, and I think they're done. And it's been the opposite, Jacob. They have rallied. They have won three of their last four games. Their last loss being that game against Pittsburgh a few weeks back uh, in Cincinnati. Jake Browning's first start of the season. So I, I mean, I have to give him much more credit than I ever anticipated myself in giving him because, you know, I was fully expecting this team to collapse. I was fully expecting this team to pack it in. And now here they are, a win against Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh on Saturday, gets them to nine wins on the season. They just have to split their last two games of the year. Easier said than done, I know. But most likely that would get you a playoff spot. I mean, white flag was up for me when it came to Cincinnati and, I mean, I, I just have to give Zach Taylor credit for, for keeping that team together and keeping them bought into we can still make the playoff despite Burrow being out. Yeah, for all the reasons you said, you know, I think you're spot on. And uh, you can look at individual players or maybe some coaches as to why the Bengals are doing well, but you cannot ignore Zach Taylor's name if you want to give this Bengals team credit for rallying to an eight and six record, despite losing Joe Burrow and Tom, I'll I'll make a I'll make a comparison here. Back in 2019, when the Steelers were at eight and five at one point, with the help from Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges, everyone in the country was ready to give Mike Tomlin Coach of the Year because who could ever have coached that team with those two guys at quarterbacks to an eight and five record? Ultimately, they fell to eight and eight, but at that time, an eight and five, everybody was willing to just Say, call quits. Don't worry about these last three weeks. Just give Coach of the Year to Mike Tomlin. And given the rest of the state of the team, given the Bengals' schedule, given their rallying efforts, I just feel like right now, I mean, is Zach Taylor a slept-on name for Coach of the Year? If the Bengals get into the playoffs, I think he deserves consideration. I I keep leaning towards whoever finishes ahead of the other in the AFC South between D'Amico Ryans and Shane Steichen Steichen. is is my coach of the year. That's where I'm kind of at right now because both of those teams are such a surprise. Texans weren't supposed to be here at all. The Colts were supposed to be a middling team at best, but they lose their starting quarterback, so you think their season's done, and, and both teams have done a great job. But to the same point with the Bengals, yeah, their expectations at the beginning of the year were high, but once they dug themselves that hole, once Burrow had the injury problems at the beginning of the year, and then once he ultimately was out at the uh, against the Ravens on Thursday night, out for the remainder of the season with that wrist injury, you know, you have to give a lot of credit to Zach Taylor for keeping the uh, the train on the tracks here for the Bengals. So yeah, I think 
you know, he is a little bit slept on in that coach of the year conversation. And if they can get one of these wild card spots, I, I think he he being named a finalist wouldn't be surprising at all. No, he should be. And I, I think it's hilarious just because I think he's deserving of it. If they don't have a similar collapse that the Steelers did, who, like I mentioned earlier, went eight and five, then finished eight and eight. The Bengals right now are at eight and six. If they lose three in a row, he'd certainly be out of that conversation because I don't think you can give it to an eight and nine team who was, like you mentioned, in the AC championship game just last year in the Super Bowl two years ago. But if they can pull this off, if they can win enough games to get into the playoffs, he absolutely deserves to be in the conversation. But what I find funny is how everyone, or not everyone, how I'm hearing people say, well, for that same reason, shouldn't you give Coach of the Year consideration to Kevin Stavansky because he's playing without a starting quarterback? I understand the point you're trying to make, but haven't we seen this team with and without Deshaun Watson enough over the last two seasons to know Deshaun Watson isn't the reason this team is winning games at all? So I, I, I don't understand why Kevin Stefanski's name is all of a sudden in this conversation. But No, my I'm, my MVP of the coaching staff in Cleveland is Jim Schwartz on the defensive absolutely. side of the ball. I think he's been, I mean, a, go- he's probably, been a godsend these past two years. He'll probably win uh, coordinator of the year for the defensive side. Uh, for this year, just because of how staunch that defense has been. Yeah, and like you said, it's not Watson that's carrying the load. It's obviously not Nick Chubb that's carrying the load, being injured since the first time the Steelers played the Browns this year, uh, just Monday Night Football in Week 2. The defense has been the lifeblood for the Browns. So, yeah, I think, you know, I give more credit to Schwartz. But with Taylor, you know, this guy's ability to keep this thing together is really the sign of a great coach. And think about how many times the Steelers have had bad hands dealt to them over the Mike Tomlin era where people might Mm -hmm. write them off or think that they're going to go on a losing streak or there's no way they can rally. I mean, 2019 is just a perfect example of that for a season-long sample size. I mean, everybody thought they were dead in the water when Ben gets hurt, and then they start 1-3 and that year, so it's like, well, we were confirmed right in just four weeks' time, and then what do they do? They rally and, and gave themselves a chance to make the playoffs. Unfortunately, they shot themselves in the foot in the end, but we've seen that so many times with Mike T, you know, you get written off, but you have such a good, you know, culture in place. You have such a good um, rapport with your players in place that even though the odds are so long, you still overcome them. And I see a lot of that in Zach Taylor right here, where I saw the body language when Burrow went down against the Ravens, you know, they didn't look great against the Steelers in Browning's first outing of the season, but the players buy into the message. They buy into Taylor I'm sure Joe Burrow is also being is making his presence felt around the locker sure. room as well. I don't think he's abandoned anybody, but no, there he's is there is helping out Jake Browning on the side. There is buy in from this team for their head coach, and I mean that's the toughest battle I think is getting a a group of 53 adult men to follow to buy into your messaging and, and fall into line. and And Taylor has that team really wrapped around his finger. Um, and I got to give him a lot of credit for that because I thought it was Burrow who, for the main part, had the, the team wrapped around his finger. And as Burrow goes, the team goes. Um, Burrow's still an incredible quarterback, top three in my mind in the NFL when he's healthy. And this team has a bright future because of him. But they're proving to me that it really isn't just a, a number nine or bust in Cincinnati. There, there is a team there, and there is a lot of buy-in from that team. Certainly there's a team there, Tom. Um when you rally to this kind of record, I mean, it's kind of it's it's a weird way of saying it. Even though it was, it kind of seemed like it was just a band of misfit toys back in 2019. You believe there was a team in Pittsburgh that 
could beat a playoff team that year before they lost three in a row. And so right now, here we are with three weeks left to go in the season. Right now, you believe there's a team there. There's a coach there that can rally these troops. I'm not going to call this team abandoned misfit toys like I did for the 2019 Steelers. I think, I think these two teams are very different. I think there's a legitimate defense there. Uh, back in 2019, Megan Fitzpatrick had just joined the Steelers. Uh, there was no Alex Highsmith. Uh, it was a very young T.J. Watt. Um, but in Cincinnati, you see the offense. That's that's this team's identity. You want to compare that offense to the Steelers' offense back in 2019? Guys like Johnny Holton were starting games. Giants like Guys like Benny Snell were starting games for the Steelers. You have a legitimate offense here in Cincinnati, and I think that's the lifeblood of this team. And I think you can see now the burden of proof is this 8-6 and six record that Zach Taylor is a legitimate NFL head coach. If they pull this off, Tom, I know you want to give the credit to D'Amico Ryan and Shane Steichen for what they did in Houston and Indy, respectively, but they're doing it. I mean, D'Amico Ryan's doing it with a legitimate future NFL quarterback. He's doing it with the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Shane Steichen's doing it with a guy who's been on legitimate NFL teams, who has led winning NFL teams in the past. For Zach Taylor to lead Jake Browning to this kind of record, a guy that was cast away when he came into the league from Washington, nobody was willing to give this team credit. Uh, and now here we are. What, we're only four-ish weeks into the uh, Jake Browning experiment here in Cincinnati, but it's looking pretty good so far. Yeah, it is looking pretty good so far, and uh, a big reason why, they've adapted. They've adjusted their offense right. around Jake Browning, and We'll get to that in a second. I want to, you know, harp on something where I think the coaching staff could change in Cincinnati ne- in this offseason, though, and that's at the defensive coordinator position. Uh, mm-hmm. Lou Anarumo has been there for about four years now, since 2019. They've had some better-than-expected defenses in recent memory. I think he's actually gotten some head coaching uh, buzz going about him uh, because, you know, I think in the past couple of years when the Bengals have gone on this run, it's obviously been offense, 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 but the defense has been better than expected. Now this year, you know, sure. it was still supposed to be offense-driven, this team's identity, but, you know, the defense still had dudes on it. it. It's just not performing that well, though, Jacob. You know, it's towards the bottom of the league in a lot of key categories, gives up mid-20s, mid-to-low-20s points per game, like right around the middle of the league. Um And the reason why I call out the defensive coordinator is because I see talent on the defensive side of the football. Mm -hmm. Trey Hendrickson has 15 sacks. That's second to T.J. Watt this year by just one sack. He he could be the sack leader at the end of the season. Uh, Sam Hubbard's a a great, you know, uh, two to the one-two punch uh, Mm -hmm. of Trey Hendrickson as a pass rusher. Logan Wilson, I think, is one of the more underrated inside linebackers in football. I think I think that position, you know, the elites in that position are, are are maybe just Roquan Smith and Fred Warner. And then you have a little gap between between them and the next tier. But I think Logan Wilson's probably towards the top of that next tier. A is a great corner. Dax Hill, you know, they had so much faith in him as a draft pick in 2022. They move on from Von Bell and Jesse Bates. And Dax Hill, I think, has done a good job. We all know Mike Hilton and the impact that he has in the game. Jermaine Pratt's a good running mate with Logan Wilson. Like, I'm naming names here. Definitely. And I'm, I'm impressed by this defense and the personnel that they have. It's not translating to results this year, though, and that's when you start looking at the coordinator. Yeah, you have to. And the same reason we're giving credit to Zach Taylor, you got to give credit to the defensive coordinator. I think 
Dom, we started this conversation off by just giving credit to Zach Taylor. <clears throat> There's clearly credit to go around in the Cincinnati locker room, whether it's the coaching staff or the players. This team is rallying. This team is looking at themselves as we're not just going to lie over and quit. And not only that, they're not going to say, okay, we're not going to quit, but we're not going to look at ourselves as a team as this fun upstart team that could maybe be a thorn on the side of some teams come the regular season. No, they're looking at themselves as a legitimate playoff threat in the AFC, especially given the landscape of the AFC and the NFL this year where it seems like anybody can be anybody. That's why I'm looking at this record for them down the stretch at Pittsburgh, at Kansas City, home to Cleveland. Clearly the biggest... The biggest uh, name on that list is Kansas City because the game's in Arrowhead, but we've seen Kansas City lose games on the road and at home. It's not a given to just say, oh, well, you're going to go in Kansas City and get and get thromped, you know, 42 to 10 every single week. And if any team is going to do it, is going to pull off a victory in, in Kansas City, it's going to be this team who has done it season after season each of the past two years, and that's Cincinnati. So I think they can get the win in Pittsburgh. I think it's possible they can win in Kansas City. And even if they don't, if they split these next two between Pittsburgh and Kansas City, they're going to be playing for their lives uh, on week 18 against Cleveland in Cincinnati. And I think they can pull that one off too. I think we're going to see the Bengals in the playoffs. And depending on who they draw, we could see the Bengals in the divisional round this year. Well, I think what maybe gives people pause is Jake Browning is going to turn back into a pumpkin because if he's yeah. playing at the level that he's playing at the past three weeks for the remainder of the season, they can win all three of these games in front of them and they can definitely make some noise in the playoffs. He's, he's playing at a level like Joe Burrow. There's only one quarterback that's been better than Browning in the past four weeks and that's Brock Purdy and he might win the MVP. So like if you were just to look at this in a vacuum and, and assume that what Browning's doing will continue no question do I make the Bengals not only a likelihood to make the playoffs, but I think they'd be a favorite to make it as one of these wild card teams. And, you know, winning two out of three, maybe three out of three is is not even close to out of the question in my eyes. But there is the part of me that I think shares, uh, there's part of me that I think shares this feeling with a lot of people around the nation, a lot of football fans, is that he's not going to keep this up. Like something has to give here. There's three, four games worth of film now on him that these teams can start to gather up and evaluate. Something's got to give. The league has to punch back eventually. And I, I think that's kind of where I'm assuming, what I'm still <laughs> assuming is going to happen. And maybe I'm wrong. And and maybe it's not this week that it happens. Um, maybe it's an arrowhead that he kind of, you know, starts to sputter a little bit, starts to hit a little bit of turbulence. Uh, but that's kind of what I'm waiting to happen. And that's why I'm not as bullish on them getting in as you are. But if he continues this level of play, you know, your comment about them getting to the divisional round even is not that far-fetched. They they can beat a lot of teams with this level of quarterback play because it's the second-best level of quarterback play in the league in the past three weeks. Tom, shouldn't – I, I get your, your hesitation about Browning turning back into a pumpkin. But shouldn't we learn the lesson from the guy who we're comparing, comparing Jake Browning to? Hasn't since Brock Purdy taken over for the Niners, hasn't there been like a watch party – for this guy to turn back into a pumpkin week after week after week, dating back to last season, everyone's saying, oh my God, he's just Mr. Irrelevant. He can't keep this up for much longer. He's going to stumble. He's going to falter. But the way the, the Niners and, and, and Shanahan use him, it's kind of like how Kenny Pickett was used in Pittsburgh. Going for mistake-free football, you're not going to have a lot of chances to turn the ball over on this guy. 
we mentioned how Brock Purdy is number one in passer rating so far with quarterbacks. I think it's like minimum of 100 attempts this season. Number two is Jake Browning because if you look at the other stat where they're number one and number two, it's average yards per attempt. Browning's not taking these big risks with his receivers. He trusts the coaching staff and he trusts the players on the field to make the plays for him. He's not like a Mitch Trubisky who's going to gunsling and throw the chuck the ball down the field to a Jamar Chase who's in triple coverage. He's going to make the smart plays because the coaching staff, like you mentioned, is molding the offense around him. What can we do to best benefit Jake Browning, which therefore best benefits the Cincinnati Bengals? So I understand why you're waiting and waiting and waiting, but to tie it back up to our first conversation, we need to give credit to Zach Taylor because he's doing a great job of molding this team around Browning to not let Jake Browning cost them games. He's winning them games. And I think they could do that again this this Saturday, rather, at Acrisure Stadium. I think they can definitely win uh, on Saturday. They're favored in the game, which is, I mean, crazy. To the, the Steelers have been underdogs this season more than I, I care to remember in a regular season. Um, but the fact that they are in such a big game, you know, I know the Steelers' hopes are dwindling, but they're still alive. You know, those two teams still have playoff aspirations for the Bengals to be a road team with a backup quarterback and be a three-point favorite. Uh, that is a little bit alarming. But then again, I guess the Steelers are starting a third-string quarterback, so how alarmed can you really be? What you mentioned about, you know, the coaching staff and, and Browning trusting them to put him in areas of success, well, one aspect that they've utilized more than they have um, when Burrow was healthy since Browning took over was their utilization of running backs out of the backfield. Mixon, Chase Brown have both had big games in the receiving game. Mixon has actually started to get things going on the ground as well. So they've turned to the running backs in both the passing and, of course, in the running game to kind of help stabilize this offense. Um, you know, before the injury to Burrow, the Bengals were passing the ball in like 64% of their plays. Only the Jets and the Commanders were doing it more so. That's down to 57% over the past three weeks. So they're they're adapting their offense towards Jake Browning, and Jake Browning is taking that and running with it, and he's being incredibly efficient, distributing the ball to these backs, distributing the ball to these wide receivers when they're open. So for a team in the Steelers that has no safeties, that has no inside linebackers, running backs and tight ends you know, being as part of the game plan for Cincinnati, that scares me a lot, especially the running back aspect. Definitely. Like like we both laid out, it's mistake-free football that Zach Taylor is blueprinting for Jake Browning to have. And like you mentioned, it's not just the receivers. It's not just the Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins who are getting involved. The running backs have a huge part in this offense, which is, if you look to a season ago, they weren't that or as involved then as they are now because Joe Burrow, you're much more confident in him to spread the ball down the field chuck the ball up, he's he's a calculated gunslinger, uh, Joe Burrow is. Compared to Jake Browning, you have to be smarter with the football. You have to do more of these short dump-off passes, these checkdowns. But what the Bengals are doing so well is that they're, compared to the Steelers, let's say, is that these dump-off passes, these dink and dunks, aren't just on a second and 17 or a third and 12. And you're just saying, let's hope to God Jalen Warren and Najee Harris can get us the yards that we need to get. No, the play is designed for that. It's not like 
you have the receivers running their routes and Kenny Pickett or Mitch Trubisky or now Mitch Rudolph doesn't see the play or doesn't want doesn't have enough time to get the ball out to those guys down the field and they're just forced to give the ball to the running backs or the tight ends who are near him. No, these plays are designed that way. And like you mentioned, Tom, with the inside linebackers all gone, that leads to what could potentially be a big day for the Bengals' backs and tight ends. And it wouldn't shock me either if T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd also have big games on Saturday. No, they definitely are threats to have big games. That's for sure. Uh, anytime uh, the Bengals play, they're two really skilled wide receivers. T. Higgins is a wide receiver one that has just been relegated to number two status because of the greatness of Jamar Chase. No Jamar Chase in this game, though he has been ruled out. So it's Higgins and Boyd doing a lot of the heavy lifting. But Browning passed the ball to 12 different wide receivers last week against Minnesota. So don't don't be surprised when you know guys like Andre Iavosis or Charlie Jones or Trent Irwin are, are getting involved in this offense too because you know he's not afraid to spread things around. One thing that they've been doing as well with him is getting the ball out of his hands quickly. And that's something that Steelers have seen from a lot of their opponents recently. You know, that's the way they neutralize T.J. Watt. You know, he rushes from right. one side. The Steelers do not move him around on the defense. It's Watt's preferred side, but he stays there. And he rushes the passer the majority of the time. So, you know, they run towards him. He's going to run right by it because he's trying to get to the passer. If they get rid of the ball in 1.5 seconds every time, what what can you do even if you're the greatest pass rusher in the NFL in that short of a time frame? So I expect the Bengals to continue to do that. And it's kind of on the Steelers and Austin and Tomlin to react to that. And, and we saw it like when the Rams were doing that to TJ Watt earlier this year, getting the ball out quick, neutralizing his pass rushing ability. They drop him back in coverage. He picks off Matt Stafford uh, for a game changing play. Uh, you got to see a little bit more creative usage with TJ Watt. Whether you dropping him back in coverage, he's blitzing from another, he's rushing from a, a, another side, a, another gap that he's not used to. Maybe he rushes from up the middle every once in a while. Just keep the offense guessing a little bit because I feel like teams have kind of started to get a rhythm into how to neutralize this guy. And, you know, you've seen him make sacks recently, but I think they're minimizing impact from T.J. Watt. And and that's, I mean, really going to be the key for the Steelers is he's got to make a big impact in this game. Um, they got to get pass rushes, the pass rush home to have any success. Definitely. I mean, we know the impact T.J. Watt has when he's on the field versus when he's off the field. And, no matter what, you'd rather have him on the field. But I'm with you, Tom. The, the plays that you've gotten from T.J. Watt, sure, they're splash plays in nature, but the impact they've been having on the scene hasn't been quite the same as what we've seen in the past. Game-altering plays that lead to a win. I mean, you mentioned the, the Rams game. Look back to the, um, Look back to the Ravens game, right? He had the strip sack in Lamar Jackson. Set the Steelers up for a win. Look back to the Browns game. He created the pressure that drew the Alex Highsmith return touchdown interception in the very first play of the game for the Browns. And then in the fourth quarter, he was there to scoop up Alex, Alex Highsmith's fumble on the Shaw Watson and brought it into the end zone himself. That's the kind of impact you're used to seeing T.J. Watt make on this team. I'm not trying to say T.J. Watt is falling off here, falling off a crater. The point is, is that this team needs something like that. He's, I mean, it's crazy to think that we're talking about TJ Watt needing to make a bigger impact. The guy is leading the league in sacks. I know. Leading the league in sacks. I know. It's unfosses. unfair. It's so unfair. 
But that's what greatness is, right? That's what greatness Yeah, you make demands. the most money, you have the highest status, you have to be even better. I mean, that might be unfair, right. but it's part of the equation. Mar Marcus said a thousand times on his show, like, the past couple of weeks, like, he recalls back when Mario Lemieux would have, like, a four or five point night and be disappointed because he didn't do enough. And he would say that, I make the most, so I gotta do the most. And, and it is unfair sometimes, but that's where TJ Watt is right now. I mean, yeah, look at Sidney Crosby last night. Like, as much as it sucks, Jacob's like, hey, score a touchdown. You know what I mean? Like, because right, we right. got nothing else. No one else can on this team. No, Sidney Crosby had the only regulation goal for the Penguins last night and then the shootout winner. Like, what else could you ask the guy to do? Obviously, the team won, but if the team loses, what else can he do? He scored the only two goals for the team. It's, it is, it is, it's got to be frustrating for TJ because I think he demands excellence out of himself. And I think when he sees the final score on the scoreboard, he probably looks at himself and says, I, I could have done more. I know what I'm capable of, and I could have done more. Yeah, that's the mindset that I believe he he has as well. Um, but I, I think the reality also is with that defensive side of the football, you know, having your inside linebackers and your safeties decimated the way that the Steelers have, you know, even great teams would have a lot of trouble overcoming that. So, you know, you're in a bad spot. You've lost um, three straight games now as a team. You've you've gone from firmly within the playoff picture to a 500 football team that is on the outside looking in. And even with winning out, you probably need a little bit of help to break your way to a six or a seventh seed. Um, you know, I I kind of get it on that defensive side of the ball, but at the same time, you know, the blueprint all year has been splash from the defense and setting the offense up in a favorable position for their one one to one and a half good drives of a game that is able to uh, pull out a victory and you know whether you want to blame it on the injuries and the decimation of those you know the spine of your defense the linebackers and the, the safeties or whether you you know want to say the defense still has to be better and they still have to not give up as many points to the Cardinals, not give up 21 points to the Patriots in the first half, not give up a touchdown in 22 seconds at the end of the first half uh, against the Colts last Saturday. I think both of those things can be true. Um, so again, it, uh, talking about unfairness, it's a little unfair to keep asking the defense to step up with the amount of injuries that they have, but that's just the reality of where we're at because I think we all know it's, it's foolish to ask the offense to step up. Yeah, because you don't expect the offense to step up at all, right? At this point, you're no, they weren't stepping up. They weren't stepping up when their first string, first round pick uh, quarterback was playing. The guy had what through eleven games, six or seven touchdown passes. If they weren't stepping up then, now with all with being whittled down to your third string quarterback, all the locker room issues we've been seeing over the past few weeks unfolding. There's no way you can expect them to step up. It's all on the defensive shoulders, which is so unfair to them because we know the talent that's on that team or on that side of the football, but we also can recognize how dwindled it has been uh, compared to the start of the season. I mean, to lose th two of your starting inside linebackers, to have zero of your starting safeties, I can't even say zero because it's more than just zero. You're, you're down to, like, what, your fourth or fifth string Starting safety, who will be out there for you on, on Saturday afternoon against the Bengals? It's so unfair to put the burden of expectations on the defense just because despite being as dwindled and as injured as they are, there's still more talent on the defense than there is the offense at this point. And it's just a losing battle, I think, because you don't have any faith in your offense and you know your defense is on its last legs. 
it obviously it's it's worn out. You know, thirty points against Indianapolis. I think people were expecting a loss to have thirty points running up on you. I mean, we we remember the reaction the last time the Steelers had thirty points scored on them, and that was against uh, Houston way back in Week Four. What's going on with the defense? Well, it was fully healthy at the time. It just had to get its wheels under it. Now here in Week Sixteen, thirty points hung up on you. You can just tell the defense is gassed. It's it's a, it's a shame because of the talent that's still on that defense that remains because TJ and Cam and Highsmith and Mika are also there. Atlanta Roberts, I like to give credit to overall for sticking with this season and and being kind of an Iron Man coming back for that Patriots game despite being injured in the Cardinals game. It's just it's just a sad sight to see for the Steelers team. And I th- I mean, with all these points in mind, I just don't I just cannot foresee a Steelers victory on Saturday. Well, I guess we know what way you're leaning when we make our predictions during Fireside Friday a little on, later on today. But when we come back, uh, Tyler Boyd had some interesting comments about the uh, yeah, Steelers and, and George Pickens. So I'm going to talk about that for a second. And it's Mason Rudolph's time to shine. Talk about how the third string quarterback, the third quarterback to get a start this year for the Steelers, how we think he may fare against Cincinnati. It's all on the way next on the Steelers Standard. <laughs> 